Speaking of that, Pastor Tony is out. He left, I believe, last night uh, for Peru, so he's joining the other missionaries there. So he, uh, he is there. I, he should be. Do we have any word? Did he arrive? He's on his way right now. He's late. Okay. He's layover. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, well, that happens. But uh, I thought it would be appropriate to start before we get into the sermon, if we can just uh, have some time of prayer. Jeremiah is also out, so otherwise we would normally have that prayer time during the uh, worship. So um, let's go ahead and pray for our missionaries in Peru right now. Heavenly Father, you're so good to us. You're so, so good to us. You love us so much. We thank you so much for this place that we can meet. We thank you so much for this air conditioning. We thank you so much for the weather that you bless us with here in Southern California. We thank you for this family of, of believers and friends who can come together in a safe place and be able to just talk about matters of the heart. And we know that there are many others out there who, who don't yet know that, who haven't yet experienced and felt your love, who haven't heard the name of Jesus. And namely, Lord, we're talking about those who are in Peru uh, right now in, to, in the, uh, the, the towns that some of our missionaries are going out to right now. Lord, we pray, uh, especially for Tony and Jeremiah who are in transit, that they will meet uh, with the rest of them safely, Lord. We pray for your, your blessing over them, your covering over them. And we pray that uh, they will have an awesome time of fellowship with our uh, Peruvian brothers and sisters over there, that they will be able to come together and just reaffirm, hey, on this part of the world, on this latitude and longitude, we also stand for Jesus, and we, we also feel his love stretching out to this, this end of the earth as well. So I pray that you will bless them, that you'll give them a sound mind, and pray that you will protect them from any doubts or any, any uh, things of the devil that may come into their minds telling them that they're not loved, that spreads lies, that causes contention within the team. We pray that you will bless and strengthen the Peruvian church, that when we leave, it's not all just built on a few people from here, but that uh, it's built on, on, your, on your saints who are there. So we pray that we will be encouraged, that we will help hear many stories uh, from, from the villages there, and that uh, they'll be able to be blessed by us as well. Lord, we turn our attention to your word this morning. We have a lot of different passages to look at. Uh, we, we have a lot to talk about uh, over the next two weeks. So I pray that you'll bless this word, that it will cut to our hearts, and that it will get us thinking in our minds uh, about how we worship you. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 24, verse 1, says this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Psalm 24, verse 1. For the next two weeks, we're out of a series. We just finished our series in family. Hopefully, everybody got to go home and hug their dad or hug their grandma or grandpa or whatever on Father's Day. I uh, hope you enjoyed that series. Uh, we have about two weeks before we're going to go into a stewardship series. But for the next two weeks, uh, until Tony uh, comes back... Uh, you have me, once again, sorry. <laughs> uh, thank you for your graces. I love you guys. I am excited. Uh, we're going to go through uh, just Church 101. 
why do we do what we do in a church service? Uh, for some of us who have been in church a long time, it's just a habit. It's like, oh, well, yeah, I always come up, I give, I sing, I fellowship, I whatever. And, uh, and for some of us who I see a lot of newer faces, and I, you know, uh, I would like to just crack open the Bible and, and kind of explain, like, why we do some of the things that we do as Christians. It may seem foreign or kind of weird, like, yeah, why, why is that? Like, am I supposed to sing, or do I stand up, or do I have to give, or whatever? Namely, over the next two weeks, we're going to talk about giving, Okay, tithing and offering when we come up to this little black box or if you go online. And secondly, we're going to talk next week about why we sing. Why do Christians sing? Why do we stand up and do that? Okay, why are we picking on those two things? Because those are the two times during a worship service where it's actually the whole congregation that is involved in doing something, right? There is some sort of like opportunity for us to engage in the worship of God physically, whether it's through song or getting up and making the sacrifice of our energy to walk over and the sacrifice of our money to get back to God. It's a little taboo, I admit, uh, for many preachers to talk about money and giving and tithing and things like that. Why? Well, because I am paid by this church. So it seems like, oh, all right, I get it. Yeah, you know, you talk about giving so that you make more money. That's not how it works, okay? There are many people in the secular world who, thinks that, who think that, our family members included, who think, oh, you're going to be a pastor. Okay, I was formerly, like, in Hollywood working a lot more. I still do occasionally. But they're like, oh, you're going to be a pastor? Okay, well, that's pretty lucrative, right? If you make more people, then you make more money. It's like, oh, that's not, we don't do things like that. So here's our roadmap for today. I'm going to take us way back into the Old Testament. We're going to look from the Old Testament at what offering and tithing originally had meant. We're going to get that principle, and we're going to see how it carried through the entire Old Testament into the New Testament and then from the New Testament through church history to today. It's several thousand years that we're going to walk through in the next like 20 minutes. Yeah, you're already like, I'm bored. That's okay. That's okay. After that, I have a PowerPoint. Okay. <laughs> because hopefully I have addressed some of your thoughts about giving and tithing and things like that and maybe doubts or mistrusts or whatever. After that, if you're still not amazed, we will bring up Jason Lay, who is our treasurer, um, <laughs> to talk a little bit about how we personally at TLC handle budget and money and things like that, okay? Yes, it is a touchy topic, but it is necessary. Why? The New Testament, honestly, Jesus says there is no other real rival to the kingdom of God as much as there is money. It is an important thing because in our hearts, we tend to put security and value in money, and that is like, that can be the biggest idol that we have over and against God. It's not the devil, all right? It's not the devil. It's like, oh, it's like God and the devil, and they hate each other. We've seen that painting or whatever. Actually, that's the David God one, huh? But we've seen like cartoons of like, there's a devil and there's an angel, and it's like, oh, this. there is a war going on. Yes, we don't see it, but the biggest battle in our hearts, the biggest idol can be mammon or money. So that is the game plan. Sound good? We ready? Ready to rock and roll? You look a little nervous. I don't know. Uh, okay. First principle before we get into anything else, why did I mention Psalm 24.1? Because this encapsulates a principle that everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. Genesis 1 affirms that in the beginning, mankind made up God. No, in the beginning, God said, let there be light. He created all the physical universe. Because he had created all things, including animals, including birds, including you and I, including mountains and rivers, he is the owner and entitled to all things. That means that, he, owes, uh, that uh, he owns you and I. Now, my first question for you, does God need your money? 
No, he does not need your money. Your God does not need your money. He already owns everything. When you're thinking, okay, this, this $20 I'll give to you, it's like, I already own the tree which they shaved to make that paper. That's mine. You're just giving it back to me. You cannot give to God what he has not already given. Another psalm says, who is man that you give us all of this at our feet? Okay. God already owns all things, including you and your money. By the way, your money is not really your money. It's God's money too. First thing that we should notice before we move forward, because the first offering that is offered by man to God, we find in Genesis verse four, uh, Genesis chapter four. So go ahead, open up your Bibles, if you will, to Genesis chapter four. Once we have an understanding of who God is, master, Lord, creator of all things, he makes a family, as you remember, Adam and Eve. He says, we're going to do this together. It's going to be awesome. You're going to take care of all of the things and steward all the things around me uh, that I've created. I'm going to be with you and help you in that. Man says, I have other idea, I'm going to do it my way, they break away. Okay. We're told this, verse 1 in chapter 4 of Genesis. Adam made love to his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to Abel, his brother. Could be twin brother. It doesn't say that she conceived again. Maybe it was brothers, twins, I don't know, but we know that they're brothers. Okay. Irrelevant. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. Abel's a shepherd, Cain's a farmer. Not else much to do around then, I guess. <laughs> He's not a software engineer. I mean. Verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked on favor with Abel and his offering. Next verse, verse 5 says, But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Let's stop right there. Spoiler alert. We're not going to go on, but spoiler alert. Cain kills Abel. Sorry. <laughs> if you've never known that, I'm really bad at Yeah, I know. I gasp, right? He gets mad. He gets jealous. He kills his brother. What we're going to focus on right now is just verses 3 and 4. This is the first offering that, was, that we see recorded where man is giving something over to God. And we're not really sure why, why does God accept one over the other? Abel brings this sheep or this lamb cut with some fat portions. Cain, on the other hand, brings some fruit. Why is one favored over the other? Well, we have a few clues of why. It doesn't say explicitly why, but we have some clues here in the text. Notice it says in verse 3 that some of the fruits of the soil as an offering versus Abel brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. There is much more description going on in Abel's offering than there is with some fruit. Two things in particular. One is it's the fat portions. Now the fat portions are the best part. We can, <laughs> Sam's looking at me like, he, he cooks really good steak, okay? <laughs> he can attest to this. The fat part, if you've been to Korean barbecue, you know that the little, like, white parts of the meat that are dripping the juices into your grill and are reabsorbing back into the meat, that's good stuff, right? We can all agree. If you've had a fatty steak or when you go and buy a steak, you look for the marbling, right, in the steak, and it's like, mmm, that one, mmm, it's distributed well, like, oh, this is going to be so good and tender in your mouth, right? 
If you're a vegetarian, I'm really sorry if I'm offending you right now. I'm so sorry. Okay. But God knows that it's good, all right? It's the best stuff. People knew that then, too. They're not dumb. It's not like we invented this in the 21st century. People have always known. When you start putting meat on a grill or on a fire and you smell it and it's like, oh, man, ooh, where is that? Oh, that's good. So Abel brought the best part to God as a sacrifice. He didn't hold back or say, like, you know, I don't really eat the bones. God, you like bones? You want to gnaw on it like a dog? No, he's like, I want to give you the best part. And not only that, it says the, uh, the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. That's very important. Why? Because it demonstrates a degree of trust that Abel had in God. It demonstrates trust. Why? Because you don't know if your flock going to birth again. You don't know when you have a baby come out of a, lamb, out of a sheep and you're like, okay, it only birthed one. Okay, they don't birth like 10 at a time. Okay, it's like, man, this is the very first one. With this, I have the opportunity to raise it to till fields or sell it or eat it myself. Or maybe I can use it to birth other lambs. But instead, he offers that back to God. Why? Because what he is telling God is that, one, you are worth way more. You are worth a lot to me. I want you to have the best in this relationship. And secondly, I trust you. I trust you with the prosperity of my life. I trust you that you are going to, that you are going to take care of me. You don't know if that sheep going to die. You don't know if that sheep is going to have birth complications in the next round. So it was an act and a degree of trust in God to say, I want to give this back. Now, what I would suspect as well in Abel's offering is that he understood who God is. Because if you were to flip back one page to Genesis chapter 3, God does something very special for Adam and Eve before he kicks them out of the garden. <laughs> but if you remember, they were ashamed when they rebelled against God. We all recall that. Do you remember the first thing that they did when they hid themselves? They made something for themselves. It was a covering made of what? It was made of fig leaves, right? They're pretty big if you've had one of those fig. But what happens to leaves over time? Well, they wither away. They break apart. They dry up. It's not good enough. It's not going to work. God knows that, and he covers their shame. It's, a, it's one verse. It's very quick. It's easy to miss. But basically, God takes an animal and wraps them in the skin. It's not that like they're walking around like with an animal sticking out of them, but basically he made leather clothes for them. That would last. He covered their shame symbolically, and he covered them quite physically in their nakedness. There is a sort of understanding there, and I'm sure that Abel understood from his parents telling him through the generations, this is who your God is. This is why we are the way that we are. This is what, because God has given to us covered us, though we're this way. So Cain and Abel, these two sons of theirs, come, and they bring this offering. Now, is it that God values animals over grain? No, not necessarily. You might hear that. You might read that in a Bible study or something. No, that's not true. Why? Because later on, which we'll get to very quickly in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, God says, bring your animals to the altar and sacrifice them. You can't afford that? Okay, then bring some doves. You can't afford that? Bring some grain. That's okay, too just come. Okay, so there is no necessary favoritism over what the amount was or what it was, but God was much more concerned with the heart and the understanding of the giver over the gift itself. Do we get that principle? 
God cares more about the heart of the giver than about the gift itself. That makes sense. You can sell your Maserati and give all that. God doesn't care if your heart isn't really in it versus somebody giving a dollar. But what Abel demonstrates to us is, God, I trust you that I will still live on. I trust you that you will take care of me. I trust you that you will have even better for me than I can imagine. I love you. Abel is some fruits. <laughs> Just some. If you were to fast forward uh, about 10 chapters into Genesis 14, we see another interesting thing, which we're going to build on. We see in Genesis chapter 14, uh, tech team, did I give you that verse to throw up? It's 14, I think 18 through 20. What had happened, little context, Abraham, Father Abraham, okay. Before he was Father Abraham, he was Abram, right? He was like the bad boy, right? Okay. He gets into a rumble with a couple of kings that are in the middle of squabbling. Uh, in that, his nephew Lot was, was taken away, was ransomed. He's like, oh, i got to go rescue Lot again. He's like, help me, Abraham, right? So he goes, and, he, and he, he rescues him. And after this, he actually ransacks a kingdom, and he's like, he has all these possessions. He has all these people that he can take as slaves. So there's two kings that meet Abram in this valley after this big battle, okay? Basically, what you need to know is Abram is now very blessed and rich, okay? Here's what happens. A king of Sodom meets him in the valley, and then there's this other character in verse 18 that we meet only once, and we never really hear from him again until the New Testament. Uh, he's mentioned once in Psalms. But other than that, this is a very weird, elusive character named Melchizedek. It says, now, uh, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Melchizedek, very interesting guy. We're not, we don't really know a lot about him at all. Many scholars believe this may have been an appearance of Jesus himself in the flesh in the Old Testament. Others just say, well, no, but he's pointing to Jesus later on. Others still just say, well, we don't know, but we know that he is of God. Just kind of strange because he's a priest, but the priesthood was not established. This was the first time we see this word priest. Uh, very interesting. We do know that it is of God, that he is of God. He comes and he communes, brings out bread and wine, and basically like parties, like, hey, what's up, man? Right? He, brings, he brings the liquor and the bread. He came out and communed with Abram. And what he does is bless him, invoking the name of God, saying God most high, another term we don't really see much in the Old Testament. And what it, when you say this word El Elyon, you're basically saying God of the universe, this God of all things, who owns everything, has sovereignty over everything, has just delivered everything into your hand. What he is telling him is, this is actually God's victory. This is what he did for you. Okay? Again, there is this recognition of, wow, God has done something for me. I am blessed because of who he is. And so what does Abram go ahead and turn around and do? He gives him a tenth of everything. This word tenth, we later translate it in English as a tithe of everything. That is where we get the word tithe when we say tithes and offerings. Later on, offerings uh, could also be given. An offering was over and above a tithe, okay, of ancient Israel. So that's kind of the difference. One was like, okay, this is a percentage set aside. The other one was, this is just, I just want to give more, okay? So there you go. The more you know. Anyway, this, what we do see here is we finally see some communion happening as well. 
between this man of God and this follower of God. Now, all of this is going to start to evolve before your eyes, and in the next, hopefully, five minutes, we're going to get through the next 2,000 years or so, 3,000, 4,000 years. After this, we see the family of God growing. Abram has Isaac, has Jacob, who is renamed as Israel. That is the nation of Israel. They have a lot of kids. They go off into exile. They come back, and they introduce uh, the Levitical and Deuteronomic codes, right? That's Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Now, I know this is where usually people are like, oh, gosh, we're going to mention that. But actually, the more you kind of crack that open and read about what God had in mind for his people, it's very interesting because you see the heart of God. Here is specifically what I mean. He says in Deuteronomy and in Leviticus, bring your tithes, bring your offerings, which was typically a sacrifice. There wasn't really a formal money trading system then. So bring your sacrifices of your agriculture or of whatever it is that you have and bring it before the altar. Lay your hand upon it and sacrifice it to me. It is going to take your sin, the place of your sin, of your offense, and I'm going to cover you. You get its innocence. Okay, we understand a little bit of that, right? Sacrifice, got it. But what happens next is very interesting. He then says, now, basically roast it and have a communion offering for all of the priests and all of your household. So basically, when you come to worship me, I want everyone to celebrate what I have done. It was a gathering. It was basically like, hey, I'm having a barbecue. Do you want to come over? There was a very rich community that was formed around Leviticus and Deuteronomy. One, it was still a sacrifice. We still, we still see that they understood this is because of who God is and what he's done. We can't offer things back that he hasn't already given us and that we trust him. We trust him over the things that we have. They would specifically say bring a bull. Why? Because, well, ladies can have, you know, children, but they can have to be impregnated by what? One male. So kill that male. Oh, man. I could kill one of the females, right? Because that's, that's probably good enough because, you know, the, the male we need to reproduce more. No, bring that one. Do you trust me? Do you trust me that I will still bless you, that I will still take care of you in a way that I know how? Okay, I trust you. So they would bring. They would say, I recognize what you've done. And then it would be, hey, let's all celebrate this together. There was a community that was formed. On top of that, there was a tiered system, as I mentioned before, meaning God wasn't like, okay, I need only the, only the richest people to come, or yeah, only the poorest people. He basically said, if you're rich, okay, great, bring out of your riches. If you're poor, bring out of whatever you have. If you have a bull, great, you can't afford a farm, bring a goat. You don't have a goat? All right, bring some doves. You don't have a dove? Then just grab, some, grab something. We're going to have a barbecue here, okay? Grab something and bring it to show me that you trust me, that we have a relationship, and that you all have a relationship with one another. That was it. That was what sacrifice and giving and tithing looked like in the Old Testament. On top of that, it was also about social justice. Because every three years in Leviticus, it says every three years, we want you to take all of the tithes of our family and just give it to the poor. Give it to those who are foreigners, who are like, I don't understand the language, I'm new here, I don't know. Great, welcome them in, pay for a hotel for them. They can't afford things, they don't understand, they're old, they're, 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 they're not really all there mentally or, or physically or whatever, take care of them. So one-third of all the tithe house had to be stored up for that year, right? So there was a social benefit behind all this. It was very cool. Now, I'm going to fast forward through the, the rest 
of the Old Testament, because many of you who grew up in the church might know, did Israel stick to being with God all the time? No, they chased after many other gods. They forgot quickly, like, mm, actually, you know, there's, there's, oh, they're being blessed in this land, and they're not really giving to God, so maybe, maybe, you know, maybe if actually I don't put any more in this slot machine, God, maybe I won't get anything back from that, right? They just started forgetting this relational aspect of God. They started forgetting what he had done. That is why so many times in the Old Testament, you read over and over, they're like, okay, let me start with our history again. Makes sense. I mean, think about it. You can't even take a pic. Like, if you had your phone photos all deleted, you would forget all those meals that you ate, right? My gosh, all those selfies would be gone. You'd forget what you look like, right? It's crazy. We forget so easily. They forgot. They fell into the trap following after all these other gods. So God punishes them by sending them into exile. He's like, all right, I'll send you away from this land that I blessed you with, that I gave you, that wasn't yours. In fact, I gave it to somebody else at first and had you just uproot them, right? They come back out of exile after 70 years, and this is kind of where it gets really sad. They never really established the communal aspect again. We, from what my readings were and my research that I've done, I never saw it after about 1st, 2nd Chronicles. They never mention this idea of coming together as a family. It more became systematized. It more became religious. People just started selling their bulls or their goats and saying, okay, here's the money. Yeah, build the temple. Yeah, do whatever. That's, that's fine. Great. God's awesome. Yep. Now, here's the rest of my money. I'm going to spend it however I want. There was a temple tax that would be incurred by the, the, the Jews of the time where they're like, hey, look, if you're a Jew, then you got to give 10%. You got to, come on, that's what the Bible says, right? And it became institutionalized and systematized, and there was no heart in it anymore. On top of that, temple priests started taking advantage of people. You're from another country. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's five if you want to go ahead and uh, sacrifice it. Oh, they don't understand me. I said 50, 50. Maybe they didn't, yeah, we speak different language. 50, right? They started taking advantage of foreigners. They started taking advantage of the poor. Dark times. Well, next, Jesus enters into the scene. Yes, Jesus, the hero. Do something, Jesus. What does Jesus do when he sees this? Does he calmly walk in and say, look, that's not how it was from the beginning. No, he knocks over tables and braids whips and starts cracking it, right? This is the awesome time that we're like, yes, this is the angry Jesus that comes in. He's like, this is my, what are you doing? My father's temple, my father's house is a house of prayer, not a den for robbers. He starts overturning these things and he starts redirecting people's hearts towards what giving really meant. Because at that point, people just started thinking, okay, it's about the money that you give. And now God is appeased. He's happy. I paid him off. What more do you want, God? They lost sight of what God had actually done. They lost sight of the personal connection. They lost sight of the story that he was weaving. And Jesus comes and brings that back to life and says, no, 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 no. This is the exact opposite of what God's economy was, where now you're just coming as individuals, paying off God and taking advantage of the poor around you. This is ludicrous. Matthew 6. Can we go there? Can we go to Matthew 6? Middle of the Sermon on the Mount. We're halfway through, guys. You doing all right? You all right? You good? We good? Yeah? All right. 
Your sacrifice is to listen to me for an hour. That's your sacrifice today. I'm sorry. I love you. All right, Matthew chapter 6. This is the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the greatest sermon in the world. It goes from Matthew 5 to Matthew 7. Jesus covers like every area of human existence, basically, where you're just like, oh, mind blown. Because what he's talking to is the group of Jews, mostly, who are now stuck in this rut of like, well, I just give to God. It's systematic, whatever. It's not, nothing here. Verse 1, it says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets so that to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right is doing so that your giving may be in secret. When your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. What was happening around that time is, especially those who were very wealthy or the religious people, the pastors and priests of the time, they would go and they would announce, like literally in the streets, they would have the worship band like come over and, and kind of like they'd have a little trumpet to like, hey, what's, what's going on over there? Like, oh, pastor just gave like $1,000 to this. Oh, he's so holy. Dang, if, oh, that's so good of him. Wow. Man, yeah, God must really love him a lot more. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. They're getting their reward like, wow, they're getting their applause right here and that's it. It stops there. But there's eternal value to just giving only between you and God. That's what it's about. We are not tithing and offering and all that so that we can outdo one another in that. Like, oh, how much did you get? Well, you know, I pledged a lot more. There's no better or worse here. Jesus is saying when you give, it's between you and God. God sees what you give. He sees how much you understand what, you've done for, uh, what he's done for you. He sees how much you trust. And he loves you. Okay, it is a personal thing. Go on down to the bottom of Matthew 6, in verse 19 through 34. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one could serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or your body or what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body and, uh, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are, they not more, much, are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See, see how the flowers on the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass on the field, 
which is here today, gone tomorrow, it's thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Or uh, so, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He starts by talking about serving these two masters. Once Once again, like I mentioned at the very beginning of the sermon, Jesus talks about this principle You see, we as Americans especially take a lot of security. I think pretty much everybody in the world takes a lot of security from money. Money is power. You have more opportunity for things. I want to hold on to that. I want to make more money. I've looked at this graph um, of where most Americans put their money. A lot of it is heavily invested in retirement and in uh, security of life insurance and things like that. And it's good to be a good steward. We will talk about that in another sermon. But that, compared to Americans giving, is much different. It is so much lower what what we give. We're so caught up with the anxieties of tomorrow. When I was in college, I had had two or three jobs at the time. I was saving up for my my wife's diamond ring to propose. Okay, that was like one stipulation of her. They're like, has to be a big diamond, okay? Big, big as a... They're probably like, this guy, there's no way this guy will buy a big diamond. Like, maybe we can get him to not marry her. I don't know what it was, but they were just like, no, one time in your life, you have to do it. I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, why are you... Fine, okay. So I was working all these jobs, and I was seriously worried about money and my income. And I'm like, oh, I don't make much. I make a few bucks here and a few bucks there, and I'm tired. And I remember praying once in my car. Uh, and this was like the only time I've ever prayed this. I was like, God, I'm sorry. But I need money. God, please pray. I just make it rain money, please. Like, I really was. I'm like, I know this is wrong, but God, I'm so worried. And instead of blessing me with a million dollars, he spoke to my anxiety. Okay. Okay. Here's what I, I very, like, very clearly remember. God's saying. He's like, do you believe that I really am the master of all things? Do you believe that I own the world, the entire physical universe? I said, um, well, yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess you do. I said, okay. Do you believe that you are my son, adopted because you believe in Jesus, that he paid with blood so that I would adopt you, and now I am your father? Yes, I, I do believe that. Okay. So you believe that for sure. Like you believe really that you're an heir to the new earth. You believe that you are now royalty because of what I've done. Yes, I believe that, God. Okay, now don't you think that your father, a king, would take care of you and knows what you need when you need it? Well, yeah, I guess so. All right. Well, let's go have a nice day now. Now, did I get a check the next day for a million dollars? No. I did not. Still waiting on that, right? We all are, right? It's like, sure. But there was a sense of peace knowing that, no, my father will take care of me and provide for me. I wish I could tell you how many times it's been just like randomly like, whoa, like this job came out of nowhere or we got paid out from some other thing or even in this church that I was taken care of. Like random, like some of the older folks in the VMs like, like randomly have just walked up to me like, hi, and shoved like a hundred bucks in my pocket. I'm like, whoa, what are you doing? And they're like, okay, yeah, God bless you. I'm like, the heck was this hundred bucks? 
How did they know? Like, what the heck, you know? So why do Christians give? Why do we give? We have an understanding of what was given for us first. We have an understanding that all things were first given to us, especially in our terms of our salvation and our spiritual future. We know that Jesus died on the cross to make a covering, literally, that is the word, atonement, that you might read, which means a covering, just like God covered Adam and Eve of their shame, of their fear, of their rebellion, yet God in Jesus Christ has covered us and still desires that relationship. We still trust that he will be good, that we have life beyond, that we have life now. We have trust that we can be made new. Why? Because he resurrected from the dead. So that faith and understanding that God is faithful in his promises by sending Jesus, that understanding of what he's done for us, that we're treasured and adored by his son's death, and that that trust that he will do so much more in the future is still there in Christ. But we're not done yet. I want us to see, this is a longer point, okay, this is like the meta point, okay, and then we're going to do slides, and then Jason, and then we're going to sing, and it'll be awesome, maybe we'll all go out and sacrifice a bull, but the story doesn't end there, the story doesn't end at Revelation, we are still here, Jesus has not yet returned, so what happened through church history, well, we look at the generosity in Acts. We see a bunch of believers who understand that. We see people selling their homes and carrying out what Jesus says, like, oh, I got two coats. Well, yeah, you have a coat? No? Can't have, all right, it's not here. Just, just wear my coat. It's fine. When we have retreats, I love when people come up. They're like, hey, um, we can't really, uh, my family's kind of, you know, I'm like, all right, well, what can you afford? Let's pay. We, want, we just want you there. Just come. If you can't afford it, that's fine. It doesn't matter. We'll, we'll pay. We'll pay for you. There's this radical generosity that we see in the book of Acts where people are literally selling like their homes. Like, you know what? I don't, I don't really need two homes. This is kind of crazy. Look at all the, all the poor people in the streets. Look at all my brothers and sisters. That, you know what? Let's just sell it. Let's liquidate it. And hey, let's, just, let's all just celebrate what Christ has done. We see this over and over again in the book of Acts. We even see a, a, the poorest church, the church in Macedonia, give to Paul and say, hey, there's the church in Jerusalem. We're not even there to celebrate with them, but we just want to share our love of Jesus with them. So here, and Paul was just like flabbergasted, like what the heck, you guys, you don't have this. This is amazing. This is moving. But again, that's not where the story ends because as church history goes on, okay, past the book of Acts, we are now in, in secular history. This, this is, you can look up and Google we find the community of Christians then instituting it. If you read the Didache, it is, uh, I know it sounds boring, but if you read through it, it's basically how Christians would organize and structure in churches like this early on. And they recommended, hey, let's go back to the Old Testament, the tithe. Maybe if we all gave 10%, then it's even. And it was well-intentioned. By the 8th century, however, when Rome became the Holy Roman Empire, it then institutionalized Christianity as like, if you're a Roman, then you're a Christian. And therefore, in the law, the secular law, they said 10% has to go to the church. This is how the, the Roman Catholic Church had built so much wealth over the, the centuries. It was because everybody, it's like, oh, you're a Roman? All right, well, you know, 10% goes straight to the church. Oh, okay. And what does that tell people over time? Oh, okay, if I just give, then I'm a Christian. Oh, okay, cool. So I could buy off God. Do you see this pattern happening again? where it's no longer about the heart, it's no longer about understanding the giver, it just then becomes about, oh, okay, well, as long as I pay it, then I'm good. Abuses started coming in in the church, 
Okay? Uh, by the 1500s, the Roman Catholic Church was selling what were called indulgences. You might have heard this from history or remember it from like elementary school or high school or whatever. Interesting story. I won't get too much into it, but um, basically the church devised this plan that said, huh, we have a few building projects of these big churches and a few priests that we want to ordain. You know what? What if we just told people and sold like these guarantees that you and your family can be closer to God and maybe even get into heaven if you spend enough money. And they hired literally a salesman to go around to churches like, well, you care about your family, don't you? You want to see them in heaven? Well, for only $50, yep, it became commercialized. And it wasn't until a savvy German in, in 1500s, <laughs> yes, I'm proud of that, come on, of course. It wasn't me, it was <laughs> named Martin Luther was noticing this, and he said, oh, nine, you don't. Right? <laughs> yes. He said, this is nicht right, okay? And that's when the Reformation happened. There was a split between the Catholic, Roman Catholic Church, and the Protestant Church, Protestant Church, okay? Uh, that is, we're evangelical church, but we can also be called a Protestant Church because we don't give any money to Rome, Okay? That is where that happened. Were there abuses in the Protestant church? Oh, yes, there were. In England, there, were lots of, there was lots of money handling that was just not done right. There was lots of um, people doing sort of the same thing where it's like, hey, well, if you really love God and playing with people's emotions, there were plenty of preachers up until even today who are going to preach many different things. And here we are in Southern California in the most individualistic society in the world, the most commercialist the most consumerist society in the world. So given all that history, here we are. We have televangelists on TV who will try to goad you and use even scripture to try to manipulate things and see, well, it says here that, you know, blessed is the giver. So you want to be blessed by God? Amen, brother. You come on up with that $100 bill. Keep in mind that Judas Iscariot was also a follower of Jesus. <laughs> he loved money too. He heard everything Jesus said. He preached the same. He would probably be able to repeat the same things that Jesus said, just like some of these guys. Their eyes are not really on Jesus, though. Okay, don't listen to any preacher that has a private jet. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Got to call them out. Love, love them? Okay, but don't trust them. We also get this mentality of we still have this individualist mentality of, it's, well, it's really, it's still, it's my money. I'll give God whatever's left. There's lots of different things, and that's why I have uh, put together a PowerPoint for us to sort of talk about at least four different things that I see when it comes to giving, different attitudes and mentalities. Uh, and then after that, we'll, we'll go ahead and bring up uh, Jason to talk a little bit about our specific budget, how we do things, so that it's clear that you can see everything, okay? Can we uh, pull up that, that PowerPoint real quick? All right, why do we give anyway? <laughs> Why do we give anyway? Okay, some of you may say, I give out of guilt. Okay, deep down, it's just like, well, it's this like, this, you, maybe you heard these things in your past, like, well, don't you love Jesus? Well, don't you? Well, if you love Jesus, then you come on up. Or you go online, and you, you, because, you know, that's it. Well, everyone else is doing it, so they're going to be looking at me. Okay, they're, or they're watching who comes up, or they're watching who is giving online, or they're or I just want to do the right thing. Like, it's the right thing, humanitarian, you know, and I, I got to pay my dues, you know, things like that. Okay, let, let's take a look at what Scripture says about that. Okay, 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly 
or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, not reluctantly, not like it's like, God, I have to tie the fine here. And at the same time, not under compulsion, where it's like, well, don't you love Jesus? You give right now. I guarantee there will be a check tomorrow at your doorstep for five times more. No, there won't. You could give and walk out and be hit by a bus. That's the reality of things. But what I wanted to focus on is that God loves a cheerful giver. A lot of people get this wrong. They think that that means that you have to walk up or you have to smile as you're typing in everything. And you're like, see, God, I'm happy, right? And you're trying to force yourself to be happy when you give. Like, I'm doing it right, right? Am I good with you, God? You're already good with God. That's the point. So why, does God, why do we say God loves a cheerful giver? It basically means if you are not cheerful in giving it, don't give it. Just don't give. It's okay. God doesn't need your money. Does TLC need your money? No, we don't. We can have this same thing outside in the parking lot if you want. We can all meet at my house. It's fine, really. Don't give. This is like the only preacher I think you're going to tell you don't give. Really. If it's going to be in a place where you're like either grudgingly giving your money over to God or you are just feeling like, okay, it's because somebody said something and now I'm emotional. But do what is going to feel right in your heart. Well, is, is it 10%? For some people, it might be. Okay? For others, it might be like, no, I, I'm blessed. I can give. It's not a percentage. I just give. I just give. For others, it's like I throw in what I can now and then. That's fine. For me, personally, in my life, it is, it's, I just set it up. It's sort of this thing that I set up. And, and so that's why I'm like, as I'm reading through this, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, this last week, I'm like, God, I've just become that sort of like, okay, it's systematic. Here you go. But for us, it's 10%. I actually have an account. I almost showed a screenshot of my accounts, but I didn't want to embarrass myself so <laughs> or overwhelm you with all the zeros before the numbers. <laughs> like, dang it. This is <laughs> but we, we actually set up just a tithing account. It's for practicalities, and basically we just move. You know, Whenever we get paid, we just say, okay, great, this goes to God. This is God's. And it's a way of combating the consumerist mindset. Yes, is there time when the tithing account has more than my checking? And I'm like, ooh, hmm. Yeah, of course. We just give it. And we say, God, no, this is yours. Because it's already yours. It's all yours. And it's a reminder for us. And it's also, like I said from the beginning, God, I trust you. I trust that there will be more. Listen, I work a tent-making job, okay? Yes, I am paid. I am on salary here. It's not very much. It's not enough to pay my mortgage. That is why I have a wife. I'm just kidding. <laughs> she, she pays a mortgage. I pay for, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> gas for the cars, I don't know. So I have another job, uh, still doing stuff in Hollywood to supplement, okay? <laughs> yes, so we are able to say, okay, God, I don't know when my next job is going to be to pay for our gas, but I trust you. And over and over again, I've, I've still gotten jobs come in, okay? It's not that it's because I gave, no. I'm just demonstrating to God, I trust you. I trust you, and I know that you're good to me, and this is yours anyway. It's for me to be able to decentralize everything from myself and give back to God, okay? The more I give, the more I'll get. Here's the next one. So some, some people will have this mentality. It's called the prosperity gospel, where, again, you might hear this, where it's like God will bless you more. He loves you more if you give. It's not true. It's not true. He doesn't look at your statuses here. He doesn't look at like, well, you got the most friends on Facebook, so I mean, obviously, you're the most popular. <laughs> Come on in. It's not how it works. 
That's not how it works. Now I'm right with God, he favors me, or I feel good. That all of these things are, these are lies. These are lies that we sometimes tell ourselves when it comes to giving, okay? I wanted to show you something, bless you. There are so many, I can't tell you how many verses there were when Chris was like putting together the worship set. He's like, can you give me some verses to kind of meditate on? I'm in my computer, I'm like, I have like 49 of them. He's like, no, just, no, that's all right. I'll just sing God is faithful or something. <laughs> I'm like, all right, that's great. Yes, let's do that. I wanted to show you something. This is interesting. Luke 21, we see this woman, uh, this widow, who is putting in some money into the offering box at the temple. Jesus is sitting across, chilling, maybe at a cafe. They didn't have him, but, you know, he's chilling with his disciples, watching all of these rich people come up and dump in money like, hey, everybody, 100 bucks right here. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, right? And there's this old lady who comes in with two cents, and Jesus just is like, all right, that woman right there, she gave way more than everybody else. And they're like, what are you talking about? It's like, no, she understands. She gave from her heart. She's on a fixed income. She doesn't know if she's going to be able to make that up. She can't work. She's not married. She's old. Like, she got nothing. But yet she gave because she understands who God is. And they're like, whoa. Okay. That's a demonstration of somebody who understands the heart. Now, look at, the, look at a little bit further down in Luke. Okay, this is why I'm showing you this as opposed to the prosperity gospel. A little bit later in their conversation, Jesus starts talking about the end times and what it looks like for believers and followers of him. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, sisters, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. Well, that's encouraging. Does that make you want to give? Well, wait a minute. You're saying that I, following you, giving to you doesn't guarantee my safety? No. It doesn't guarantee I'll gain more? No. You follow me, you worship me, you give all to me, you can actually still die in this lifetime in a terrible way and be hated on. Look at the book of Job. The book of Job is all about that. This is guy, rich guy beyond any of our comprehension of wealth. And to test his heart, God just... He's like, okay, let's take all that away. Who do you really love here? Do you love the things that I give you or do you love me, the giver? That was the test of Job. And Job griped, of course, but no, he's like, no, I'm, I'm still, nevertheless, I'll stay with you. I don't understand it. I don't get it, right? Okay, prosperity gospel. Okay, it doesn't sound too prosperous. We are not doing this so we will be blessed materially. Okay, I don't trust the church. Well, I don't blame you. Given the history I just gave you, I don't blame you. There have been too many abuses in history with money. Uh, of course, preachers will tell you, then they get all the money. Yeah, that's a lie. <laughs> I, I don't, I, nope. I don't trust the church. You know what? If you don't trust TLC, don't give to TLC. Find a ministry that you trust. You don't have to give to this ministry. You understand that, right? You can give to a ministry that you are passionate about. Some of you are very passionate about, or, and you can supplement, you could do whatever you want. Really, God has given it to you, and it's up to you to do whatever you want in an expression of worship. If you have, uh, some of you are really into like mental health, and there are ministries for that, and you're like, I want to support that. Like, it's a fledgling thing. I really want, great, give some to that. If you're really about uh, abuse, if you're really about like, you know, AA, or whatever it is, crew, student ministry, you want to give specifically to missions. There are missionaries here that are like going around right now like, yeah, I got it. I'm trying to, I, want to, I love Jesus. Can I want to go to Vietnam. And here. Okay, give to that. You're still giving to God. If you know a neighbor 
If one of your neighbors, listen, is like, you know that they're like, yeah, we're going to have to sell our car because, you know, my, uh, my husband lost his job and, you know, our kid's kind of sick. They're not asking you. You just want to bless them. You are giving to God. You're like, God, I trust you. And this person is in need of some help here. You are now an instrument of blessing. That is what we saw back in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, remember? It is a communal thing as well. I can't afford to give. Okay, college students, yes, <laughs> can't afford to give. You know, I know, I know, I got you, I was there, still am. Uh, <laughs> can't afford to give. I'll give when I get more. We've all kind of had that attitude before, I'm sure. Like, well, you know. But here's the problem with that. It's never enough. Look at the next slide. It's never enough. Jesus said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of possessions, of his possessions. Basically, this, this comes in the, uh, the, the parable of the, the ten talents or the, the five bags of gold. It's also found in Mark. But basically, here's the idea. You're going to think like, okay, when I have a little bit more like that guy, then, then I'll give. Okay, if you remember that parable, a man went away, he gave different servants, like here's 10 bags of money, here's five, here's one. The one with the 10 invested it, the one with the five invested it, the one with the one was like, I don't really have anything, I'm just going to hide it in the ground, right? What are you doing with it? If I gave you $20,000 today, you know what you'd do? You'd be like, thank you, you'd give me a hug, maybe you'd take me out for a meal. But in a little while, you're going to say, if only I had 20000 more dollars, then I'd be all right. It's always a moving target. Rockefeller said this. Hey, this guy was rich. We have all heard that name because in American like, history, yeah, that guy was rich. He was also a Christian. And he actually said, if I didn't tithe the first dollar that I had before like, all of this empire, I wouldn't have tithed the first million that I had. Okay, what you do and the habits that you start today and that understanding that you have with God, again, it doesn't need to be as much as the person next to you. It doesn't matter. That doesn't matter to God. He wants your heart. He wants to see that understanding. Do you know who I am? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? It's not going to guarantee your wealth, right? But don't let money be a false sense of your security, okay? Now, we, we do a lot of things. We do a lot of different things. There's a lot of different ministries here at TLC that we are passionate about, that we, uh, and, and there's more and more people kind of rising up like, hey, we want to start this ministry. Great. We, we, will, we will back you. We will do all that we can. And if it, if it requires some money and we see that there's fruit and God is opening that, okay, let's, let's, let's go for that. Let's do that. But it goes a long way, okay? I don't want you to think like you put money in a box or you tithe online and it just disappears into the universe. Quick story to illustrate that. There was a man once who uh, was in a congregation. They had the baskets, you know? They ever been to a church like that and they pass the baskets and you're like, right? And uh, he, he pulled out like 300 bucks and the basket was going by and he said, I'll see you in heaven. And he threw the bucket. And, like, the people around him were like, dang, man. <laughs> like, really? Like, if you can't do it cheerfully, it's just like, oh, I'll see you in heaven. Okay, the man dies. The man dies. In heaven. In heaven. Okay, this is an illustration. I don't know the guy. Maybe I do. In heaven, he meets up with a bunch of people from a tribe from another country that he's never been to before. And they said, we just want to thank you because some of the money that you gave went to a missionary who told us about Jesus. And we were saved, and we went on to tell other people, okay? 
It's just an illustration to show we don't know exactly how far it will go. We don't know exactly, we, I mean, we know exactly, <laughs> you know, where the budget is going, but we don't know the impact that it can fully make in the lives of others when we give. Last illustration uh, I just want to share. This one, this one kind of helped summarize everything for me when it comes to, because I care mostly about your hearts, okay? I mean, sorry, I care the most about your hearts, not mostly <laughs> the, the pie chart in my heart. No, I care about your hearts. And God cares about your hearts more than anything else. To illustrate this, uh, I was at uh, a sister church of ours, and this pastor brought a blanket, an old blanket up with him. He said, this is my youngest daughter's blanket. This is her security blanket. Anybody have one of those growing up? Where, yeah, okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm such a jerk, I'm sorry. He brings up this blanket, and it's like this kid's blanket. It's all dirty, and he, and he said, this is my youngest daughter's blanket. And he said, that morning, I went to my daughter, and I said, honey, can, can, can daddy have your blanket? And she's like, no. And he's like, can, please, can daddy have your blanket? Do, do you trust daddy? And, and it's just for a little bit. And, and she's like, no, 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 I need it. I need it. And he, she's like, honey, it's me. Did daddy give you this blanket? And she's like, yes. And he's like, okay. And do you trust daddy? And she's like, I guess. And he's like, okay, may I have your blanket? And she said, Okay. She gave him the blanket, and he held it up for all of us. He said, do I care about this blanket? No. <laughs> I don't. He said, I could get, this is a dirty old kid's blanket. It doesn't fit on me. I do not care about the I can have 10 million other blankets, but this one is my daughter's. This doesn't tell me that I'll keep warm. This doesn't provide anything for me other than that I know that I have my daughter's heart. My daughter trusts me. That's the heart of giving. When we as Christians come before our God, that is what we are demonstrating to our God. We're like, Dad, I trust you. I see what you've given me. I'd like us to bow our heads and just listen to this prayer from First Chronicles 29. This is a temple dedication uh, by Solomon. He says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with an honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in our hearts in the hearts of your people forever, and keep their hearts loyal to you.